You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. If women say that if men would open up more, they would feel closer, men should listen because I think then women would really not be needing so many extramarital affairs and perhaps men wouldn't either. Sex educator and feminist Cher Height. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Human sexuality has been very widely studied and researched and written about in the last few years, most notably perhaps by Alfred Kinsey and Masters and Johnson. In the 1970s and 80s, there was another trilogy of books by another researcher that drew very widespread praise and criticism. It was called The Height Report by researcher Cher Height. Now, much of the controversy around her work centered on the fact that Haidt was a feminist who included political and philosophical viewpoints in her research. In 1988, she completed the Haidt Report trilogy with a volume called Women and Love, and that's when I first met her, when she was in the middle of what turned out to be a very controversial book tour that included some fiery stops, including TV's Phil Donahue show. So here now, from 1988, Cher Haidt. With all that has surrounded the book, the magazine articles, the Donahue and everything like this. Have we missed the point? It's very kind of you to ask, yes. I think that, in fact, uh, hardly anyone understands the point of this book, and many call it uh, a book about unhappy women or something like that. That's not the point of it to me. In this book, it seems to me that women are really redefining the terms of male-female relationships and also of female psychology. Maybe women are frustrated with some of their relationships with men. That's true. They can be angry, they can be sad, wanting more love, or just ready to give up. That's not really the point. The point is, if women have been defined by love, by the society for a long time, our proper role supposedly is to be the nurturers, the love givers, etc. And now women are defining love for themselves and the many kinds that there are. That's revolutionary. Now, you are an historian. Is it not true that so many of the problems, the, the, the lack of communication, the, 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 the feelings that, that, that go awry, aren't those things that have always existed between men and women? Are you not chronicling something, a relationship that has always existed since the beginning of time? Has there ever been a time in history when men and women have been able to openly and freely communicate and when man has not tried to dominate women? And- of course, there are times when things are better than other times. There are times when domination is, is harsher than others, for example, using chastity belts and things like that. Nevertheless, throughout uh, recorded history, uh, there has been a mostly male domination of women. Uh, women only got the right to vote and lost uh, legal domination by men here in the United States or in the West, anyway, during the last century. But... There may have been a time before written records in which men did not dominate women. That's certainly possible. Nevertheless, I don't think that men dominating women grows out of some sort of biological hormonal setup um, or some other mysterious biological innate force. I think that this is an ideological system which has taken hold and extended throughout Western history and parts of the uh, other parts of the world also and something that can definitely be changed if it weren't an ideology for men to go out and dominate nature women and other things other men uh you wouldn't have to have so much cultural emphasis on training men to grow up that way 
in reading your book, I, I found myself in, in many places having to agree with a statement that Phil Donahue made to you and when he said he read it and he said, it makes it sound like all men are lousy. I mean, it really gave me a, a, a bad inferiority complex to be reading so many parts of the book. Are men that bad? I don't think that men are that bad, but, you know, there's a section in there which I like very much called, Are Great Men Great in Their Relationships with Women? And men can be very great, but they still, I think, for the most part, have very particular attitudes towards women. They expect things from women that they don't from men. Now, does that mean that they should stop expecting those things from women or that they should start expecting them from men? What I point out in this book is that we're really at a cultural turning point. I think women realize this more than men. Women now are forced to choose either to kind of adopt what we've known as a male value system, make love less important, go out in the workforce and say, boy, I'm going to make it over everybody else no matter what, or else keep on trying uh, to have the kind of love and the kind of relationships that they've wanted. And maybe not succeed as much, maybe not get as much credit in life, etc. So it's hard for women to keep on with that value system if you don't get rewarded as much. On the other hand, I think most women in my study would say they would what they would really like in their heart of hearts is for men to change, stop seeing the world as a place to dominate, try to understand what equality means, not only with women but also with the planet. It's hard, though, for the dominators to accept from the dominate head that they should no longer be what they are and that now there should be some equality. There are two points of view in the feminist community on this. One is that, yes, men will truly lose something if they share power more fully. Another point of view says, no, men can only gain because, after all, they have heart attacks at age 65. Maybe they'll live another 20 years. Maybe they'll be happier. Which do you think is right? <laughs> Boy, I don't. I, I haven't made up my mind yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now, I, again, and I, I know everyone has zeroed in on this, so I promise I'll ask it just once, and then we'll be rid of it. Oh. My wife and I have been married ten years. Now I noticed that seventy percent, and I noticed the statistic that everyone has harped on, but seventy mm percent -hmm. of the women who've been married for more than five years say that they are having an extramarital affair. Do I have something to fear? Well, you seem to be fairly verbal. Probably not. Uh, women who find that they can have a close communication with their husband are generally not having affairs. Most women say that, you know, you've heard it incessantly, why won't he talk to me more? Why can't I get him to open up? This is the number one problem women cite in relationships. The number two problem is he doesn't listen to her when she opens up. And the number three problem is a kind of gender harassment that goes on. But if women say that if men would open up more, they would feel closer, uh, men should listen because I think then women would really not be needing so many extramarital affairs, and perhaps men wouldn't either. So if men talk, assuming we don't talk about the weather or the car, if men will simply talk with their wives and listen to what their wives have to say, that is enough to keep a woman from having an affair? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what everybody wants, is that kind of intimacy. Men want it, too. In my study of men, which I published previously, most men said their best friends were women, particularly their wives. In this study, most married women did not say that their husbands were their best friends. Most women turned to women for emotional support. So men like emotional support. They like what women are giving. And when they get upset and say, oh, well, the new women are not like the old women, the old ones were nicer, 
Uh, really what they want is to continue those nurturing traits, but can't they understand that women want to get them back? So if you can have two people giving those things to each other, I'm sure I'm sure they would be very happy together. I interviewed two women, two psychotherapists, just last week. They made the point that women have a special bond with each other that they don't have with men, and they saw nothing wrong with that, that a woman having as her best friend another woman, because mm -hmm. there are things that women will be able to communicate with on one level that men can't or won't understand. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm certainly not saying there's anything wrong with it. There's a long section on friendship between women in this study, which none of the media have talked about either. I guess not spicy enough. So uh, anyway, uh, no, but the values that women share in friendships are, are particularly uh, beautiful because it's more of an equality kind of relationship. It shows that it can work. But uh, I don't know. I mean, will men be able to adapt and live this way? Or would they prefer to go on the way things are? After this short break, Cher Height speculates on why her work got such fiery reaction from men. Now back to my 1988 interview with Cher Height. Now what is, what is next? You don't just sit, sit down and write a big book like this after spending years of time researching it. You don't just put it out be on a few talk shows and then just sit back and say, okay, world, change. What happens now? Well, in a way, I do do that. I mean, I have done three books, and they all were about social change. And uh, th that was the trilogy that I had planned. It's it's not easy to, to hear one's ideas distorted and to have, be personally attacked. Um, it, it, so therefore, uh, I really am not sure what I'll do next, but I... I I think that I have done quite a bit. Why do you think there has been such fiery reaction to women and love and to the handful of statistics that have been pulled out and made the topics of entire magazine articles and television shows? Why has there been such a fiery reaction? There seems to be a kind of conservative backlash going on at this time. It's not only conservatives who are doing it, of course, but a kind of a feeling on the part of, of some men, which was characterized in the Women's Review of Books as men feeling that they'd had to listen to women's, quote, complaints for 10 years, and they'd had it, and they really didn't want to hear any more, and they didn't want to change, and they just kind of let out a collective scream of, that's enough. It's been a long time since I've heard the phrase, women's liberation. Are women liberated? Uh, the ideas of the women's movement has cer have certainly penetrated the culture. Most of the population, men and women, say in most polls that are done that they believe in equal pay for equal work. Uh, what this book, mine, is really involved in is democratizing the family. Most women would certainly agree that they would like men to do half of the housework, take half of the responsibility for that. Now that most women are working outside the home, it's only fair. Uh, what women are talking about in this book in particular is emotional equality, and we're nowhere near getting that. And uh, I really don't know what's going to happen, but it won't be very good for the culture if men are not able to open up in that area. Wouldn't you agree that it's a lot easier for a man to say, okay, fine, I'll pay you the same as another man, than it is for him to say, okay, fine, I'll open up and be emotionally equal with you? Exactly right. But I don't understand why it is so hard for men to say, okay, I'll open up and be emotionally equal. I mean, there are, there's the idea that, of course, if men are not brought up, to think that it's all right to talk about their feelings and to listen to other people's feelings, well, then maybe that's the reason they can't. Um, some have suggested, on the other hand, that uh, 
men don't want to be completely open with someone who's not their equal, that men don't want to identify with women's things. After all, men don't wear skirts. Women can wear skirts and pants, but men can't wear skirts because it's a step down, status-wise. A lot of the stories, the anecdotes that I read as as women wrote to you, I thought, oh, okay, okay, that's fine. I don't, I don't, I don't disbelieve what these women have written, but there's got to be another side to it too. I just one in particular that sticks in my mind. There was a woman who admitted that when she was pregnant, she her husband dragged her to a party. She didn't want to go. She was ready to go. He stood around for another 45 minutes, and when they got out to the car, she tried to run him down with the car. Well, I'm sure he's got a version that he's been telling his friends too. Now, I don't doubt her version of things, but. I'd like to hear what he has to say about this, too. Now, Well, I did publish a very, very long study of men. The second book in the trilogy is about that, and 400 pages of it are about men's feelings about love, growing up male, uh, how they feel about marriage, etc. So I, I tried to cover that there. Um, there are two sides to every story, and men certainly have a cultural role that they're pressured into as well as women. But the difference is, of course, that men are given more status for their particular role. They may not enjoy it anymore, and yet they're given more status, more money, etc. You know, until we have at least equal pay, uh, somehow or another, uh, you cannot say that it's it's equal. What happens to men and women when they're alone really reflects a larger social order in which men have more rights privileges, etc. Men tend to often believe during private arguments with women that their view of the situation is correct, whereas the woman is standing there uh, saying what she thinks it is. A typical argument in my book as described by women goes like this. She's bringing up a topic which uh, he has uh, done something, called her something, or, or left out or not noticed or not listened or whatever. She brings it up in what she thinks is a polite, polite way. He then looks martyred and uh, doesn't say anything. She feels she's not being heard, so she raises her voice. Uh, he looks even more martyred, and this thing es escalates until probably finally he walks out. He calls her hysterical or something like that. Now, some couples manage to break that pattern, or later they get back together and they talk it through, which can be productive. But the general patterns show that men often just have a belief that they don't have to listen to whatever it is the other person is saying. It's kind of like sometimes our attitude to Latin America and other places. We really think we know, and they'll catch up with us one of these days. But well, we laugh at it when Dagwood Bumstead is hiding behind the paper, drinking up coffee, saying, yes, dear, yes, dear. <laughs> That's funny to our right. culture. Right, exactly right, yeah. But um, my only question, because I'm running out of time, about your methodology. Mm -hmm. A caller on the Phil Donahue show raised a point that I thought was valid, and I, he broke for a commercial at that point or, or something and didn't get answered to my satisfaction. A woman called and said, isn't it true that if a questionnaire arrives in the mail and a woman is happy with her situation, it goes in the trash? If she's unhappy, she says, boy, am I going to unload, and she sits down and writes to you. Could that, could that not skew the results? It might, uh, but at the same time, you have to remember, as one woman wrote me, uh, if, you, if anybody reads Dear Abby or listens to Phil Donahue or any of the others, it seems to be overwhelming in our society uh, that women are constantly saying that men are frustrating them in many ways. So I don't think these are just an unusual sample, but even if they were, I think they'd be worth listening to. Cher Height died in 2020. She was 77. And you can find easy Amazon links to the Height Report at our website, heardeverything.com.
And HeardEverything.com is where you'll also find my interviews with two other towering figures in the feminist world. My 2000 conversation with the author of The Feminine Mystique, Betty Friedan. I didn't set out to make a revolution at all, you know, but I certainly didn't realize I was going to start the most massive revolution of them all. And my 1994 interview with the founder of Ms. Magazine, Gloria Steinem. The genius of social justice movements, whether it's the women's movement, the black movement, the Hispanic movement, the gay movement, whatever the movement is, the genius of it comes from people letting others know that you can do it. Together we can support each other and we can make it happen. And of course we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the man who persuaded millions of people to write down their innermost secrets on a postcard and send them to him. My 2007 interview with Frank Warren. Post-secret stands the idea of a secret on its head. When you share these secrets, you gain power over them, and the secret loses whatever power it might have had over you. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.